Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Let me uh, also extend this morning my uh, greetings to all the guests, the family and friends that are here to celebrate uh, this graduation. Uh, you indeed are uh, in many ways responsible for uh, this exciting day in the lives of these graduates, and I'm certainly delighted to be a part of it. Uh, I would be less than truthful. I didn't say I have a little tinge of sorrow this morning uh, because at this precise moment in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, my son Jonathan is graduating with his Ph.D. in Old Testament and Hebrew. And uh, I would be less than truthful if I didn't say there was a part of me that would like to be there, but there was never any doubt uh, I would be here for you guys. And so I sent my wife. And um, <laughs> she's having a great time with that as well as five grandchildren. So that even adds to the... I better stop or I'll start crying here. So I'll just move on. But in all seriousness... Uh, it is a great day and a wonderful accomplishment that this day represents. And uh, I am very thankful that uh, the parents that are here uh, entrusted your children to us. Uh, I'm thankful for the spouses that have stood at their side and have prayed for them and encouraged them along the way. And, and I think, yes, uh, also for the children who sometimes had to watch their dad or mom uh, hide away uh, in front of a computer screen or over a desk uh, so that you could get those assignments completed by the evil, wicked Sanhedrin professors that you have endured <laughs> under for several years. And so they too should be congratulated uh, as well. This morning, I want to take just a few moments, and it will only be a few moments, and talk to you about a sacrifice of extravagant love. And the message, the charge today comes from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verse 1 through verse 11. Let me read this text and you can follow along uh, up on the screen. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that is Jesus, uh, by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, which, by the way, was a year's salary. So in our day and time, think of an average wage laborer, $40,000, $45,000 is what this would have been worth. So why was it not sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor? And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. 
And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. I want to ask all of you a question this morning, and I want to also ask you to be brutally, brutally honest as you answer this question. Have you ever in your life as a follower of King Jesus ever made a sacrifice of extravagant love? Has there ever been a time in your life where you went without something you wanted and you made a costly, costly sacrifice because of your extravagant love for the Lord Jesus? I've been thinking about that question for several weeks in anticipation of this day and I have to confess to you all this morning, I think I've done it once. To my shame as a 55-year-old man who's been now a believer for 45 years and in the ministry for 35 years, I think I did it once. We used to be a member of a church it's filled with good people, and we had a youth building that was filled with old, ratty couches. Now, you all know where they came from. They came from the really sweet, nice folks in our church who had bought themselves a brand new couch and given the old, torn, ratty couch to the church and got a tax write-off in the process (laughs) and felt really good about the noble deed that they had done in giving the church their old, ratty couch. Now, in the Spirit of shameful, full disclosure, one of those ratty couches was formerly ours. (laughs) But one day it hit me and I just realized, my goodness, I should have kept the old ratty couch and bought a new one for Jesus. It's what I should have done. And by the way, we can multiply this thousand times over, the, the old cars that we nobly give to the church and get the write-off because we've now got a a new one. You see, the fact of the matter is, uh, we're pretty good at giving Jesus our leftovers and our hand-me-downs. And yet, when we come to Mark chapter 14, we don't see anything like that at all. Uh, We see a woman who gave her best. In fact, Jesus said she has done what she could. She gave him everything. What I want us to see this morning from this passage very quickly are just four very simple truths about uh, this woman who Mark leaves unnamed, but the Gospel of John informs us it was Mary, uh, the the sister of Martha and and Lazarus. And I want you also to see in this text that there really is the, the tale of two lives. One a woman who Mark leaves unnamed and a man by the name of Judas. Of the woman, Jesus says in verse 9, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And of Judas down in verse 21, he says, it would have been better for this man if he had never been 
born. Wow. What a contrast. What a tale of two lives. So what are the four truths that I want to put before this graduating class uh, this morning, but also for all of you? Because this message is not just intended for them. It's not just intended for me. It is indeed intended for every one of us. First of all, extravagant acts of love will always be public. The backdrop of the text is rather interesting, is it not? It is the Passover. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by, by stealth, by some sly way, as the NIV says. And they wanted to kill him, but they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar, there, there be a, a riot among uh, the people. And so Jesus, they knew, was extremely popular among the people, and they knew that if they were to arrest him publicly, that there was the potential for an outbreak of riot and and uproar, and they certainly did not want to invite the Romans to step in and crush them. And so they said, "We'll, we'll just wait. And so under the cloak of darkness and in secrecy, they are plotting to kill the Son of God. In stark contrast, not only to Judas... But also to the religious leaders of that day, there is this woman that Mark leaves unnamed, but that we learn from John is the woman Mary. And when he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, this is all we know, by the way, most have surmised that that Jesus probably is the one who healed Simon. Some even think that Simon may have been the father of Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha. We don't know that, but he's in a, in a home there in Bethany and evidently they're having a meal and perhaps even celebrating. Some have even said perhaps they're celebrating the resurrection of Lazarus that took place just a few days earlier that John's gospel records. And so they're there and uh, he's reclining at a table and suddenly something happened that was totally unconventional for the day. A woman came. Now, it would not have been a problematic for she to come and bring food. That would have been what would have been expected. But what she does is totally out of character and totally unexpected. She came with an alabaster flax of ointment, of a pure nard. And by the way, we do learn from our historical background that this particular type of perfume comes from a plant that's only found in India. And so it was very, very rare. And as the text tells us, it was very, very costly. In fact, it was basically equivalent to a year's salary. And so she takes this, maybe it was a family heirloom, we don't know, but she takes it and without any hesitation, without any uh, pretense, she, she breaks it. And the text says she poured it over his head. If you look also at the parallel account in the Gospel of John, you also discover she also poured it over his feet. And she used her long flowing hair to wipe his feet. In fact, it is interesting that three times in the uh, Gospels you find Mary in the presence of Jesus. And every single time she is where we need to be at his feet. Loving Him, serving Him, and worshiping Him. And so she does not care about social convention. She's not really concerned about what others might say about her. She deems Jesus of inestimable value, and she says, I'll go public, and I don't care who knows what I think about Him. By the way, is that true for you and me? Are we indeed willing to go against social convention, maybe even to risk uh, scorn and and ridicule and embarrassment and proclaim publicly to the world, He's my Lord, He's my Master, He's my Savior. There is nothing 
too great for me to do for him. No, extravagant love will always be public. Secondly, extravagant acts of love will also often be criticized. The, the act of the woman did not go unnoticed. Oh, no. Uh, people saw, no doubt people smelt the beautiful perfume. And, of course, coming out of the, out of the closet, no, actually coming right there in front of everyone are the, the critics. It says in verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like this? Again, we find out from John's gospel that the person who takes the lead in this was Judas. But evidently the others came alongside of him and uh, agreed with the assessment. And it says there that they began to, in verse 5, scold her. They began to ridicule her. Why was this ointment wasted like this? Now, I can make a number of observations, but I'll just make a couple. Number one, the disciples not only demeaned the woman in making this statement, they demeaned Jesus. Jesus... You're okay, but you're not worthy of an extravagant, sacrificial act of love. So they did not only demean Mary, they also demeaned the Lord Jesus. Secondly, the world, and even many in the church, now you hear me, will not be bothered by your moderate Christianity. That will not bother them. That will not trouble them. Serve the Lord with a measured degree of devotion. And for the most part, way to go. Good job. Proud of you. But take it to the next level. Be extravagant in your act of sacrificial love and get ready for all sorts of criticism ridicule, and scorn. No, the, the world has no problem with people having too many possessions and too much wealth. Uh, most in the church don't have a problem with a pursuit of what I call uh, the, the malady of comfortable, convenient Christianity. But walk away from a real career. Medicine, that's a real career. Law, that's a real career. Business, that's a real career. Or maybe you are an outstanding athlete. Well, that's a real career. Walk away from some something like that. And they'll say, you're a fool. In fact, they will say, you have chosen to live nothing less than a wasted life. That's what they'll say. Or walk away from your mom and dad. Don't go back home just down the street from them. Serve in the inner city Serve in a large mega city area. Work among the, the poor and the less fortunate. And again, you'll hear people say, what are you doing? That, that's so foolish. That's so impractical. Or let's take it one more level. Walk away from family and friends. Follow the Lord Jesus and his will for your life to the nations. Pour your life into a people group of which, by the way, you knew this was coming as of this morning. There are 7,055 unreached people groups in the world today. That means the people living in 
And among those people, most likely, will be born, they will live, they will die, and they will go to hell, and they never even one time heard the name of Jesus. That ought to bother you. I know it bothers our Lord. So you say, no career, no lucrative kind of lifestyle, but I will walk away and serve the Lord in a place where people will forget me and... By the way, I'll also take my children and my mom and dad's grandchildren with me and and get ready. For some of you, that will mean scorn and ridicule, and they may even deem you radically imbalanced and perhaps might even suggest, as I actually had a former student who sits uh, set where you sit now, whose parents came to him and and his wife and said, you know, we, we think you need some counseling. In fact, maybe you need some drugs because you're so out of balance that you would take our grandchildren to a place where every single day your life will be in danger. Now recognize that extravagant acts of love will often be criticized. Are you willing to accept the criticism? Thirdly, Extravagant acts of love will also be remembered. In the book of Acts, in chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, you have the story of the stoning of Stephen. And you also have something there that is totally unique to the entirety of the Word of God, and that is this. When Stephen was about to die, he makes this incredible statement, I see in heaven the Son of Man, what? Standing. Good standing at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus stands up to receive his martyred servant into heaven. He also stands up for a woman named Mary too. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, leave her alone. It's an imperative, by the way. Uh, He wasn't playing. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? I suspect that the disciples' uh, attention was rather quickly gained. And then he makes this incredible statement. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then he makes a statement that unfortunately people often misread and misunderstand. He says, uh, you'll always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Was Jesus putting down the poor? Of course not. No one cared for the poor more than Jesus. The key is the word always. The poor are always with us, and we should, by the way, always be serving them, always be loving them, always be helping them. But in this particular instance, he is drawing attention to the fact, I'm not always here for you to pour out this kind of lavish love and display of affection for me. Furthermore, and I think we have to be honest, he is saying this, that the first great commandment does trump the second. The first commandment, we all know it, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. But the first always trumps the second. Furthermore, as I was working through this, again, it came to my my mind, you know what, put these words in the mouth of any mere mortal, and they do sound very selfish, very egocentric, even narcissistic, but put these words in the mouth of Jesus, and they make perfect sense. She has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor. You can always serve them, but you don't always have me. Furthermore, she has done what she could and has anointed my body beforehand for my burial. 
Now, did Mary understand everything about what was taking place here? I seriously doubt it, but I know this. She understood more than the disciples did. God gave her a prophetic insight into the coming passion and suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And will it always be remembered? Well, the very fact that I am telling you the story this morning is verification of what Jesus promised. He says there, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her have a dear friend that talks about in marriage that we often have the opportunity uh, to make a memory. And that's a good way of thinking about it when something stupid happens or something unforeseen happens or, uh, you know, like the time that, uh, and I've shared this with some of you, that, that, that my wife uh, and I had just recently been married. And uh, uh, on a Saturday night, she, she made some sandwiches that were pretty cool. But then she put down a Tupperware thing that was full of some crumbled up stuff that if you used a really creative imagination, you might think what was in there what was potato chips. But when you put them in your mouth, they were so gummy, you didn't know what the heck they were. So being, you know, the, the spiritual leader of my house, I said, honey, I, uh, I, I don't like these. Uh, they're too small and stale. And uh, I'd like some new potato chips. And, and I don't understand, but uh, when we first got married, my wife evidently was striving to be in the Frugality Hall of Fame. And so she said, well, um, um, uh, when this container is empty, you can have some others. <laughs> that, 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 that was not the answer I was looking for. And so I, I, I came back and I said, and let me preface before I go on, I was 21 years old. <laughs> So before I get through, don't you stone me. Just realize that youthful foolishness was operative here. So, so anyway, I, I came back at it and I said, well, sweetheart, I came by the pantry on the way in here just a moment ago and I saw in there a brand new bag of Lay's potato chips that have never been touched by human hands and, and I would like to have those. And she came back and she said, well, like I said, uh, sugar dumpling, when that container's empty, you can have some more. So I did something a man would only do in his first year of marriage. I stood up, I took her Tupperware thing, and I dumped those potato chips in our kitchen floor. Oh, I know, ladies, easy. Back up. Back up. I know. I know. Oh, I know. Believe me, I know. Believe me, I know. Such a man ought to die. But it gets worse. I said, um, this one's empty now. Why don't you go get the others? Oh, yeah. No. She um, did not go get the others. And she did not do a number of things around the house for the next couple of weeks. It, it, it. We made a memory. And so... Um, I know. It's amazing I'm still married, but God is gracious and she's forgiving and Mary made a memory. Not the foolish one that I did, but one that is now told around the world among every single people group that gets to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wish this story had a happy ending, but it doesn't. 
because we learn finally that extravagant acts of love will stand in stark contrast to those of betrayal. Verse 10, Judas, who was one of the twelve, and you don't miss that. Here's this unknown, unnamed woman in Mark's gospel. Here's Judas, one of the twelve. Here, here's a woman who has no standing in society in that day, and here's one of the apostles. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad. And they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Some people find Jesus useful because of what they think they can get from him. Others find Jesus beautiful because they get him. Judas thought he was useful. Mary thought he was beautiful. And I want you to know this morning, I so much want for you and for me to be like Mary. And yet if I were to be honest today, I would have to confess that sometimes I look in the mirror in the morning and the person I see reflecting back is a lot more like Judas than Mary because I have ambition. I have places I want to go and things I want to do. And if I'm not careful, instead of just wanting Jesus because he is so gloriously beautiful, I become like Judas and I follow him because I think he's useful. Imagine for just a moment as I bring this teaching time and charge to a close that Mary was suddenly with us. And I were to interview her in front of all of us, and I were to say, Mary, I have one question in particular I'm just curious about. it. If you were, if you really were alive today, and since you're here, we can at least talk about it hypothetically, and I were to ask you, what is your favorite song that uh, is so dear to you? I think I know what she would say. I think she would say, oh, that's easy. It was a song written in 1707 by a man named Isaac Watts. In fact, she might even say to me, uh, John, excuse me, Charles Wesley reportedly said that he would give up all his other hymns if he had written this one. And just for information's sake, Wesley wrote at least 6,000 hymns, and some say he may have written as many as 9,000 hymns. And yet Charles Wesley said, I'd give up all my hymns if I had written just this one. You say, my goodness, what was the hymn that he wrote? And it was, when I survey the wondrous cross. All four verses are magnificent. But the last one I think particularly would have been precious to, to Mary. Were the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul my life, my all, a sacrifice of extravagant love. This morning, it may be that you are here because of this graduation ceremony and your love for these graduates. And yet, tragically, what I've talked about this morning is kind of foreign to you because you're not a Christian. In fact, let me just be very honest to you. Yesterday, uh, during the rehearsal, 
We prayed for you. We prayed for some dads and some moms, some brothers and some sisters, some grandparents and some friends that we knew would be here today, but also we we knew did not know the Lord. You see, the fact of the matter is, for every one of us here today, hear me now, for every one of us, we really are on the road to being like Mary or we're on the road to being like Judas. You say, oh, oh, time out, big boy. I, I, I have not betrayed the Son of God. No, but you've rejected Him. For whatever reason, you have not seen Him to be as gloriously beautiful, amazing and wonderful as He really is. And this morning, I could not imagine anything more wonderful, more important than that you would, like Mary, give Him your soul, give Him your life, and give Him your all. After all, He gave His soul for you, He gave His life for you, and He gave His all for you. That is how great and amazing is the love of the Lord Jesus for every single one of you this morning. And so what I want to do right now is give you the opportunity to make what I know is the most important decision a person will ever make in their entire life. And that is to repent of your sin, surrender your life to Jesus, put your faith and trust in Him, and receive the most glorious, wonderful thing in all the universe, Jesus. You get Jesus by just asking Him to come into your life. I want us to bow our heads for just a moment and close our eyes, if you would honor me in that way. And I'm going to lead us for just a moment in what some people call a sinner's prayer. Now, let me be clear. The words are not the issue. It is the attitude of your heart. And this morning, if you would say truthfully to the Lord Jesus, I indeed know that you love me. I indeed understand that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I today want to make this greatest of all decisions and surrender my life to you. Then I'm going to voice a prayer that just gives you the chance to say that to him. You don't have to say it out loud. I'm not asking anyone to do that. But I can tell you this, if you pray this prayer to the Lord and it is the condition of your heart, I promise you this, he will hear your prayer He will answer your prayer, and He will save you. So pray this prayer with me if that is indeed what you want to do this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank You that You allowed Your life to be broken, and You poured it out like a sweet-smelling perfume on the cross at Calvary. I thank You that in dying for me, You paid in full the penalty of all of my sin. And you did for me what I could never do for myself. Today, I turn and repent of my sin. And I place my faith and trust in you. And I surrender my life to your Lordship, just like Mary. I thank you. That your word promises, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved.
I'm calling. Save me. Make me your child. And dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that anyone praying that prayer with a sincere heart, you have heard and you have saved. And I thank you, Lord, that now I have a new brother or sister as part of the family of God. Lord, give them the encouragement and the, uh, the desire following this service of worship to share their decision for Christ with these loved ones that they are here to celebrate their graduation. Give them, Lord, a, a burning desire to make their commitment to Christ public. And may they, Lord, now have such a love for you that they don't care who knows. They don't even care who might make fun or ridicule them because they have found Jesus not useful. They have found Jesus absolutely, gloriously beautiful. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you that you allowed your life to be broken and poured out for sinners like us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.